They're back on the Football Outside the Box podcast, where we discuss the past, the present, and the future of football. Netherlands taking the better, or getting the better of USA, I should say, thanks to the boss Denzel Dumfries a player that I have rated significantly and I've been asking Arsenal to sign this brother to be our attacking outlet on the right side for Arsenal, proving again. However, my prediction in USA did not come to fruition, but it's okay. A player I want to ask about in particular. Theo, what are your thoughts on a player who I said was not going to be the true number nine that Netherlands were looking for. Memphis Depay. He is the guy in this one. Rhyme intended, by the way. Theo, I want to hear your thoughts on him. You're absolutely right. Uh, but first, I just want to take five seconds of silence in respect of your dark horse as Noah, the USA. So thank you. Now we can proceed. I know you might be super sad, Noah. We really should be having but, a yeah. moment of silence a bit later, but we'll get to that in a sec. I mean, I mentioned it yet. You know what I'm saying? You tell no, me, you tell me Switzerland, right? I mean, they got thrashed six-one. You tell me Switzerland, right? We'll see. We'll see later on in the episode. Let us know. Yeah, but that's because the USA were your dark horses, Noah. So I feel sorry for you, but I was kind of counting on them too. So I feel sorry for the both of us. Uh, it was a good match. I'm going to say that uh, the Netherlands played a lot better than the U.S. They just had more, more quality at the, end of the, at the end of the day. And we could clearly see this quality being uh, transferred into the pitch, you know, with players like Depay or uh, De Jong or Gakko or Klassen, who did a great job man-marking Adams uh, from the USA. They, he didn't let the USA transition the ball from defense to the attacking third. But Depay in a specific uh, he was just, uh, he was in the right place at the right time, but he was playing like a true number nine. Uh, you know, most of the times he was uh, making quick movements, quick touches on the ball. Uh, he wasn't being uh, as selfish as sometimes he tends to be. So he played for the team. He played like a number nine. He scored a goal like a number nine has to score goals. And he just added a lot more quality uh, to Holland in this game. So I was very impressed with the way that Depay played. And I wasn't very surprised with the way that the Netherlands controlled the match. I was kind of expecting that to happen. The U.S. Uh, even tried to control the second half after they scored their first goal. But then uh, the Netherlands just explored the gaps in the counterattacks and they, and they just sealed the match. Uh, some of the, the U.S. players, they just made uh, some silly mistakes, you know, like Adams not following, uh, not tracking uh, Depay in the first goal. Or in the third goal, Robinson, he just leaves uh, uh, the Netherlands player by himself to score the third goal. I just, I'm assuming that was out of uh, exhaustion. You know, they were, they were just too tired. Uh, they just gave all that they had against Wales, England, and Iran. And I, I, I'm assuming they just gassed out. That's why they were making those sillier mistakes than usual. But yeah, a player like Depay makes all the difference uh, in times like this, for sure. One sock, from a Netherlands standpoint, probably overcoming a lot of people's expectations this World Cup. How do you think they'll fare on for the rest of this World Cup? I think that this, do you think that this is kind of like a statement victory? I know it was the US, but what do you think? I mean, first of all, how low of an expectation did you have for, for the Dutch? Because, I mean, the quarterfinals isn't, you know, isn't anything too, like, great. They're they're facing Argentina, right? Rematch of the 2014 semifinal, or should I not bring that up? <laughs> but speaking of the, that team as a whole, you know, I mean, they they were just clinical, right? They this is how they play. Louis Van Gaal in the tournaments, he's unbeaten still, except for the penalty shootouts. This is how he wins. He sits back tries to soak up pressure and hit teams on the counter. And they did it to maximum effect. Gakpo, three goals scored in the group stages, didn't score this game, but 
he still looked lively. Denzel Dumfries, he's been shaky, but this game he provided two and scored the clinching goal. I expect them to perform the same against Argentina. Argentina, we'll get to it later, but we, you know they're they're the ones on the ball. Even against Australia, I know they had a, a period where they struggled a little bit, but you know, with Messi, DePaul runs like crazy. It's it's gonna be a tough game, but I, I just feel that the Netherlands. I mean, we see these teams international tournaments often where they're not performing well, but they somehow seem to be progressing, like England. You know, so I I, I kind of see Netherlands going even further than the quarterfinals. Now I would appreciate if they weren't facing Argentina in this round, but. It is what it is, but I think they have enough to get over Argentina still. Switching things back over to a U.S. perspective, Theo, USA kind of made a statement in this World Cup, at least showing people who didn't believe in them, their fans, that they do truly mean business. What does this say about U.S. football, or should we say U.S. soccer <laughs> in general for the future? Well, this says that the U.S. is here to stay, in my view. I think that they, uh, they're in a position, at least in the CONCACAF, where they can be qualifying for the World Cups that are going to come up. Of course, they're going to play the next one, which is going to be here in the U.S. But I see uh, this World Cup for the Americans as a way to promote themselves and to secure their spot in the upcoming World Cups, for sure. They do have a decent squad. They have a lot of young talent in their, in their squad. Uh, like Pulisic, like Giorena, like Aronson, and many others, like Robinson, Adams. Uh, but they just lack maturity right now. I felt like they, uh, at some points and uh, throughout various matches, they, they were just too nervous. They didn't know what to do with the ball. And they just gassed out uh, in this match against Holland. So they left the message uh, that they are here to stay. They presented us with uh, great moments. Imagine if Pulisic scored that goal in the third minute. It was face-to-face -face with a keeper, you know? Anything could have happened. What would you think, Noah, would have happened if uh, Christian Pulisic scored that goal? Boy, I mean, I did think about that, especially when I saw the chance happen. I was like, that was a big one right there, Christian. That was a big chance. But, you know, that comes down to the difference between the quality, the, the clinical nature of certain squads, certain players. It, it's costly if you don't have that that edge, that real cutting edge as a player or as a team, you're gonna lose matches. And that's that's what this one came down to. Touching on your maturity comment, I, I feel like the US are gonna make a big statement next World Cup. I really do. I know it's an early call, it's a very early call. I know things can change, but such a young squad. They're developing in this sport for sure. And we know the capacity that the U.S. have in general as a nation. So I think very exciting things, honestly. Great points. Well, let me ask you one, one thing. Uh, do you think the U.S. need to change managers now? Or are they fine with what they have right now? I don't necessarily see this as the problem from the manager. I mean... Christian Pulisic, right, the, the chance you mentioned. I mean, he he's the star. He's the talisman of that team. And quite possibly the man with the most quality. And if he's not finishing that, I mean, that's not really on the manager, right? And I was, like you said, I was impressed with how they played this game. Now, I agree. If Pulisic scores that, I think the U.S. might even just go on and win it, this game. That They had that many chances. And I know the game might have turned out differently. Maybe the the Dutch don't sit back all, the whole game but it, it when you're not finishing those chances I mean what what can a manager do right so we'll see they're gonna be playing at home like Qatar was this year we know that's a big boost um, maybe not for Qatar but in most cases it, it's a big boost right so I I have higher hopes as well after watching them this year Moving on to Argentina, they survived a big scare, almost a potential shock in the hands of Australia. Theo, what do you think about that chance towards the end? I mean, they nearly nicked it. Two chances at the end. 
I just know I went crazy with those two chances, Noah. But yeah, I mean, I just didn't get it. You know, why suffer so much from the Argentinian standpoint? You know, why? It's like, seriously, why? I know that, I mean, uh, Australia scored the first goal. And of course, they're going to pressure you heavy. But Argentina was simply reacting to uh, what Australia was doing in the final moments. And I'm sure they could have controlled the match by surprises, you know. Just feel feels like sometimes they rely so much on this uh, feeling that that's Messi's uh, last World Cup that he's got to take it because he might not be able to play it again, you know. And I feel that that's the kind of feeling that put them in this position, you know, to be pressured and to react instead of being proactive. But I also feel like the same feeling uh, about Messi's uh, last World Cup was the same feeling that actually prevented them to get getting scored on. It sounds a little nuts, but I feel like the same feeling that actually made them more vulnerable is the feeling that kind of protected them from not get, getting scored on. Because, I mean, uh, look at Mart Martinez's uh, save in the last minute, in the last ball of the match. He saved the ball with his shoulder, you know, for a few inches, uh, either, uh, you know, to the side or upwards, downwards, would have been a goal. And also uh, the second uh, chance that you mentioned, a few minutes before this one, uh, I forgot who he was from Australia. He dribbled three or four guys from the Argentinian side. He could have easily passed the ball to the striker, but he decided to take a shot. I mean, I don't blame him, you know? But again, should have been a goal for Australia, should have been a tie. I just don't get why Argentina was reacting so much instead of trying to be more proactive in the match. I feel like they could have stopped it. Well, they say pressure builds diamonds, but they also say pressure bust pipe. <laughs> but one sock from an Argentina perspective I mean they have struggled against a team that they really should be convincingly winning do you think that that I don't really want to say lack of quality but that lack of killer instinct is going to cost them in a match like this against you know way bigger opposition than what they face so far in the World Cup in the form of Netherlands yeah, I mean, you look at the chances at the end. I know Australia are going for it, so they're only leaving a few men behind. But, I mean, Lautaro Martinez, is he Romelu Lukaku in disguise? Because this guy missed 5-10 chances. He should have buried the game right then and there. And that really kept Australia in the game. And when, when your striker is not finishing those chances, just going back to Theo's comments... Australia are going to push forward. It's it's their last chance. I mean, it's all hands on the deck, right? So, I mean, what does that remind you of? Higuain in the 2014, missing all those chances, especially in the final. And that, that's why Julian Alvarez starts, right? Not just his finishing, but also his energy. Because we know Messi is not going to run around like crazy anymore. He's more of a static player, looks for space, walks around. When, when he doesn't have the ball. So I think that could be a big issue. They've only scored, I think, two goals max this competition. And we'll touch on Brazil later, but Brazil only had scored two against Serbia, but then they exploded for four, and they could have easily scored more. So I think d definitely that could come down to haunt them, and especially against the Dutch. I mean, the keeper for the Netherlands, he was in great form. So... It's going to be hard to get past him still. And Australia just don't look good right now compared to what they did last summer in, in Copa America. Everyone except for Messi seems to be a step down. Sorry, Argentina. Theo, I know you mentioned um, a couple of episodes ago that when Argentina go down, when they concede first and go behind, you feel like that's where they're going to struggle the most. Do you feel like it's the same kind of feelings towards this one here? If Netherlands take the lead, it's pretty much game over? Absolutely. I do think so. I feel like if they play the same way, at least in the final minutes, uh, like they did against Australia, if they repeat those uh, last minutes against the Netherlands, they're going to suffer a lot more, and that's for sure, if you just compare the quality of the two sides. Uh, so uh, this point about Argentina being behind in the scoreboard, they do suffer a lot because they rely uh, they rely heavily on Messi. You know, they only see Messi as this uh, the solution for their uh, their needs for goals. You know, 
So whenever they are down in the scoreboard, the other team is going to move their lines deeper and deeper for sure, because they want to prevent Argentina from moving up. They're going to close every possible gap. And then who does Argentina look for a solution to uh, break the lines? It's Messi all the time. Now, for sure, Messi is going to be uh, pressured on. Maybe two guys are going to be men marking Messi. Who knows? But I see Argentina struggling a lot when they're behind the scoreboard. They're going to look for Messi. Messi's not going to be, it's probably not going to be available to, you know, answer for this call. So if that's the strategy, you know, if we're behind in the scoreboard, let's pass Messi the ball and see what happens. They're not, I, I don't see them, I don't see the Argentinians uh, coming through. I see the Argentinians struggling a lot to even tie with uh, Holland if Holland manages to get the first goal. So Argentina got to make sure they score first so they can manage the scoreboard and not let the Netherlands score first because they will suffer a lot. Why? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a great, great solution to fall back to, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm not complaining if you tell me, hey, I'm going to give the ball to Messi, do something. And, and he... he <laughs> He has proven it. You know, he did it against Australia, did it against Mexico, almost did it against Poland. I, I, I just wonder, is that from your, you know, the, the rivalry with Argentina? I mean, you, you're obviously going to look at Argentina with with, with a bit of a hatred. Right? I don't know if hatred's a, a bit of a strong word, but... No, don't get me wrong. I, I hate to love Messi, but I love Messi, you know. To me, he's a lot better than Cristiano, no doubt. And he, he has been uh, the best player for a long time. But uh, I just fear that Argentina relying on Messi alone as a solution for every single game that's very dangerous for them, you know? Uh, a team like the Netherlands, who are very physical, they have a lot of quality, they know how to defend themselves. I feel like they, they will know how to prevent Messi alone to break their lines. For sure, Argentina, have they have other options like Di Maria, like Lautaro. Uh, but I just don't see it happening if Argentina is actually down in the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Louis van Gaal came out today and said he'll show the world how to how to stop Messi. So we'll see. Yeah, Messi is definitely going to be the key player for Argentina in that one, as he has been for this entire World Cup. Speaking of main men and key players France have got one in the form of Kylian Kildeman Mbappé she's on peace the man is at it again two scrumptious finishes against Poland they stood absolutely no chance in this one they did they did better though than against Argentina but it's it's France or should I say it's it's Mbappé no, really, though. I mean, Theo, how do you feel like this France squad is going to match up against a real big competitor in the form of England next round? Well, Noah, this is going to be the match uh, for the next round, for sure. I don't think there's any other matchup that's as big as this one right now, you know, uh, in terms of uh, quality, just quality. All over the pitch, you know, wherever you look, you're going to see quality for, from both sides. Uh, you also have Argentina and Netherlands who compare, you know, somewhat uh, as far as uh, quality goes. But I just see this match as uh, being the best one so far in the tournament. You know, it's going to be, I'm not sure if it's going to be a, a rough match, you know, like a very physical match. Or if it's going to be a very open match where both teams uh, get chances, they create opportunities and then they try to score from those opportunities. We're going to see what's going to happen. If they're going to have this defensive mindset of uh, not letting the other team score, or if they're going to try to score as many goals as they can because they know that they're going to be uh, suffering from the other team's attacking line too. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, I'm not sure who has the edge here. I'm leaning towards England for sure. Uh, I also think that the Frenchmen, they have a decent squad, a great squad, one of the best in the World Cup so far. But I just see the England team with the edge here just because of the overall quality. If you look at that, that attacking line from the English squad, oh my God, man. You have Harry Kane who plays as a nine and sometimes as a number 10, you know. You have, uh, I mean, he's not here anymore, Sterling, but you still have Rashford, you have Saka, you have, uh, you know, who else? You name him, no. <laughs> Foden. 
That's what I was thinking. Foden, right oh now. my god, Foden was amazing in the last match. Oh my, I mean, he has been amazing throughout the tournament. He just managed to get his first goal, I believe, in the last match. But oh my god, man, uh, they just have a, a, a decent team in general and uh, an amazing uh, attacking line. I see them with an edge against France, but the Frenchmen, they also have uh, an, an amazing squad. We're going to see what's going to happen, but I would say uh, England moves through the semifinals. Juan Sok, are there any key areas of this match that you would really tell people to look out for and to be watching? Maybe that's a midfield area, one attacking third, maybe France set up differently, they want to counter-attack this time to keep up with England's possession. By the way, great note to, to have for this pre-match is England have now not conceded a goal since the opening match against Iran. Yeah, this is the matchup, right, of the quarterfinals. This is going to be the biggest test for both teams, for sure. England, I feel, I know it was a 3-0 convincing win. Maybe I'm looking at it with, with some biased glasses, but the goals came at the right time, right? They were under pressure, but then two quick goals in the first half to pretty much kill the game. I wonder if if they can continue that against France, though, because I mean this is this is what England do, right? They beat up on the weaker sides or the so-called, I, I guess, the sides that you would expect England to beat objectively, right? And that's what they've had in 2018 and 2020. And every time they came up against an opponent of of actual quality, they faltered, and they have faced or they're going to face an opponent of actual quality in France. And I think the same thing's going to happen again. I feel like this is a bit different because this key factor, I think, is squad-based as opposed to individual quality on the other side in the form of France. I feel France have this superstar in Mbappe and there is probably no player on England individually better than Mbappe. Actually, I'll just flat out say that. There is no player on England better than him individually but as a unit that midfield is gonna be a key battle in my opinion i feel like the only place that england struggle in this one is a mistake from anybody in the back line and i'm particularly looking at kyle walker or maguire maguire for his on the ball antics i mean you can see the shakiness where that's concerned but then when it comes down to Kyle Walker, he's up against that superstar in Mbappe. Any slip up and it's over. Where I would feel confident if I was an England supporter would be the fact that Kyle Walker is a very experienced right back. And the man is an athletic beast. He is fast as shit. And I think that's the one thing that's going to keep Mbappe at bay in this one. So Neymar once said that Walker is actually the toughest uh, defender that he actually played against, that he ever played against. So he rates Walker as the best defender he's ever played. So if Neymar says that, uh, I go with Neymar, you know. I don't see Walker making any silly mistakes. Of course, he's going to be playing against Mbappe, you know. Even if he doesn't make a mistake, Mbappe can still have the edge here. But uh, Walker is still a beast, like you mentioned, an athletic beast. I feel like he could, I'm, for sure, he's not going to be as fast as Mbappe. No one can, can be as fast as that guy. I don't feel that even uh, using both can be as fast as Mbappe right now. But I do oh, feel oh, like, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, calm down, right? Calm down. <laughs> but I do see Walker uh, playing a very conscious match. You know, I think he's going to be in the right place at the right time. He's going to make the right decisions. He's very quick as far as decision making, you know. He knows what he's going to do. He performs, his, he performs it very well. And he's very uh, strong on the ball and off the ball, too. He knows how to use his body. So uh, I feel like this is going to be one of the best uh, one of the best duels we're going to have in the match. But I also see this battle in the midfield, uh, Rabiot and Chaumeni versus Rice and Bellingham as the most interesting one, let's say. Uh, whoever has the... Uh, more quality in the in the day whoever has more creativity you know more energy i feel like it's going to have the edge here and that's going to make the the difference for this match yeah i mean and, and that's why I, I can see england easily going back to a, a back three 
you know, keep Kyle Walker at that outside center back position to give extra defensive support, but also have the attacking ability from the fullbacks by it would probably be trip here. And I can easily see France going to a back three as well because I mean Kunde wasn't it. And I know there's there were reports of their own players criticizing Pavard uh, for his performances. So Noah, do you think do you envision England going to a back three this game? Honestly, not at all. With the way that England have been playing, the way that they just look and feel confident right now, why would they? I could maybe see it mid-match if you if things aren't looking so great or they want to you know maintain a, a lead. I could see that. But starting like that, it just wouldn't make sense at this point in time. I don't think you know Southgate. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Hey, everybody said he was going to start this World Cup off as a back three. And look at what he's done. So, hey, looks like nobody knows who he is at this point. But moving on to Japan and Croatia, the first match at the round of 16 where we saw a match go beyond full time. Into extra time and then into penalties. Theo, what's your breakdown of this one? Do you feel like... Croatia deserved the victory overall after a tight encounter? Well, I don't think so. But football ain't fair. You know, after watching Japan's first half, I was super impressed and super excited with them. They just controlled the first half. You know, they just looked very electric. And they, they also looked extremely conscious. It seemed like they, they already knew what they were going to do every point in time. And they weren't taking any chances, you know. As an example, I saw a few uh, throw-ins they had uh, whenever they were closer to their own box. Instead of just playing the ball and passing uh, passing the ball around, they decided to just uh, kick the ball away because they didn't want to face any risks. You know, they, they were trying to avoid passing the ball in the dangerous zone. So they were making uh, conscious decisions like that that were putting them in a better place. You know, they were very active, very electric. But I think that this pace that they were playing in the first half kind of make them gas out for the second half. And the Croatians, they came super strong in the second half, super aggressive, and they were relying heavily on uh, on air balls. They were play- placing as many balls in the, in the box as they could. They were forcing crosses all the time, and they got a, a goal out of a cross, you know? They got scored on from a cross, ironically, uh, and then they scored the tying goal uh, out of a cross again. So they looked stronger uh, from the second half on, leading to the actual time. But just watching Japan play in the first half, I was just super impressed and excited with them. And alongside Morocco, Japan, is, for me, is one of the surprises of this World Cup. I just want to tell you that congrats, you've made it to the semifinals. Because Croatia are horrific. They're truly horrific. I think only the experience from, from four years ago only that pulled them through against Japan because mm-hmm. I mean, what are they doing? They're, they just, they look lost on the ball. They're defensively. Okay. I guess, but a lot of teams can look okay. If you're putting 10 men behind the ball, I just, I just don't see how, I mean, I guess that's how terrible Belgium were. I just don't see how Croatia can even stand a chance against Brazil because they were, they were truly awful. And I, I don't know how much of that is Japan making them look terrible. I guess maybe there's a little bit of that as well, but especially after them playing 120 minutes, I mean, I think you could even rotate your side and, and get an easy win, to be to be perfectly honest. Well, I kind of agree with you here, Wonsak. I, I do feel like Japan would offer more threat to Brazil than Croatia. You know, Croatia, they lack creativity. They, they don't have any... You know, they don't have anything to offer except from uh, Modric, who almost scored a banger yesterday, not yesterday, two days ago. They don't have too much to offer Brazil, you know. But Japan, uh, if they caught us on counterattacks, I felt like that could be an actual threat to Brazil because they're just so quick. And sometimes Brazil moves all the players up, like Casemiro. He likes to play forward too. Uh, Paqueta, whenever we're uh, we're attacking, Paqueta, he, he becomes a, a striker or a winger, you know. So I was afraid that if Japan moved through, we're gonna we would suffer with those counterattacks. 
So I'm kind of more chill now that Brazil is going to play Croatia, but it's still going to be a, a very physical match, you know, because Croatia is a very strong squad. They're very aggressive. Uh, but I do agree with you. They, they're very horrible. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's all good being physical, whatever. They have no chance. You know, just, just go to sleep. Just don't even watch the game. There's no point. I mean, I guess you want to watch the game for to feel good about your side. Uh, but again, they're absolutely horrific. So you think South Korea would be Croatian? I think had we played Croatia, we could have easily beaten them. I mean, they're, they're just terrible. I know. Speaking about how we got to this moment. <laughs> hold, on, let me, hold on, let me Google. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jamaica's not in the cup. Hey, hey, hey don't be salty. Don't be salty now. Let's, let's talk about the facts of what's here right in front of us right now. A football outside the box. Derby. Jeez, bro, y'all couldn't put up some more effort? Like, shit. <laughs> y'all look embarrassing. Jeez. I'm glad we stayed at home. Shit, we would have been embarrassed. But y'all, jeez. If it wasn't hey. for that incredible goal. <laughs> hey, remember, you staying home wasn't by choice. You know, hey. you're, you're just... And, and bro, fucking Allison, man. The guy needs to chill. You're up 4-0. You could just at least let one or two in. Allison, I know there's a debate about Allison Ederson. No, for me, it's Allison any day of the week. Ederson is not a good keeper. He's better on the ball, but I don't think he's a good keeper. Allison is much better all round. But Brazil, I mean, I don't know if there's much to talk about from this game. I just, it's, it's a, it's a mismatch. It was from the beginning. Not much to talk about for you. Let's hear what Theo has to say about this one. <laughs> One sack. I wanted Brazil so hard to score one more goal, man. Oh my, that would have been gold. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they easily could have. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. If if it wasn't for your keeper too, who made decent saves, Rafinha was trying hard to get a goal against South Korea, but he just couldn't for some reason. I think he had about four shots on target. Yeah, unlucky. I guess not his day. But uh, falling back to the Alisson Ederson uh, argument, I agree with you because Alisson is a lot more reliable than Ederson. Ederson, he's a little risky sometimes, you know. He gives me chills whenever, you know, he tries to play uh, play with their feet sometimes. Uh, so Alisson is just more reliable, even though Alisson also makes some mistakes, uh, at least for Liverpool he has. Uh, but uh, for the match in general, one sec, I, I didn't think that Korea played a bad match. I just think that they were just unlucky that Brazil was playing on a very inspired day, you know. Brazil was just on that day, you know. And it was just a matter of when Brazil would get the first goal. And luckily, it was very quick, you know. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was with uh, before the, the past sixth, minute, you know. Yeah, sixth minute. Sixth minute, yeah. And then we got a PK, which was, you know, some people say it was dubious, but I, I saw a foul and a foul inside the box is a PK. And then Neymar, he scored his first goal in the World Cup. Now he's going to score a hat-trick against Argentina in the semifinals <laughs> just to shut up everyone. <laughs> but yeah, man, Brazil just controlled the match. We scored four goals in less than 40 minutes. That was impressive. Everybody was inspired. Lucas Paqueta, Vini Jr., uh, Rafinha, Neymar, uh, Richardson, they were all excellent. No flaws, no mistakes at all. The first half was perfect. Uh, I remembered uh, the 7-1 against Germany, the way that they controlled the first match. And I really looked back to that match just to compare, you know, how Germany played and how Brazil played yesterday. And Brazil somewhat, I mean, for, for sure I'm biased because I'm Brazilian, but I'm going to say that Brazil played better than Germany did in that, that day. So that makes me happy. So now it's even more clear that Brazil praises the collective, you know. In every celebration, after the dance moves and all, uh, they showed a great emphasis on the squad, you know. They hugged all, they, all of them were hugging and jumping together and celebrating themselves. And Neymar, when he scored the PK, he ran towards Alex Telles, who was uh, outside of the pitch. He ran towards him just to give him a hug, you know. He, he hugged him. He was like, yo, I'm with you. We're one. That's pretty much the message from Brazil's squad. And when you compare it to Argentina, 
seems like they celebrate more the individual being messy, you know, and I see a huge difference here. You know, if Brazil ends up playing Argentina, I see Brazil more of a squad than Argentina. Argentina, even as a squad, relies on Messi, the individual. Brazil, as a squad, praises the collective. They don't praise Neymar like a god, like the Argentinians do, for sure. Uh, he could be considered a god for the Argentinians. Neymar ain't considered a god for us Brazilians. But still, I feel like this could be uh, this could be proven to be a huge difference uh, towards Brazil, you know, praising the collective uh, in comparison to the individual. So it's a collective over the individuals for Theo and his Brazilian side. But enough of your WAC country and your WAC team. On to Morocco versus Spain, who went, who was another match that went into a penalty shootout. And boy, Spain did not impress in this one at all. What the hell? These motherfuckers did not score one penalty. What the hell? Once I break that down, I thought they were practicing penalties. Well, before I begin, this is the point I want to mention. For for listeners who are dubious, please go check out the round of 16 predictions. I did go 8 for 8 in round of 16. So I'll any, go bring I'll go mention it after. <laughs> any managers? I mean, you might want to come to me. I might put in a good word for your nation. But <laughs> But I mean, Spain, they practice thousand penalty shootout scenarios or something like that. I mean, if that's a thousand, I mean, you're going to have to practice a million more times because that was truly terrible. The second time I'm using that word this episode. But again, Spain, what good is, I mean, congrats on passing a thousand times. Let me give you an award. That doesn't give you the trophy. That doesn't give you the win. You know, it's, I think, I mean, we, we know this, right? Spain's time has passed. Spain had that glorious period where they won three tournaments in a row from 2008, 2012. And ever since then, it's it just doesn't work. I know I get it. They're, they're trying to be patient, looking for the right moment. But I mean, when Morocco, when an op- opponent takes out your key player, Busquets, like that, I think he was at like 20 passes in the second half still. They showed there's there's nothing they can offer. No threat, no cutting edge. They simply just lack goals. And it came back to haunt them again, just like 2018, just like 2020, the Euros, I mean, and 2016 and 2014. Well, we got to remember that Spain had 85% of possession during extra time. How crazy is that? You get 85% possession, you get six shots, but zero on target. You know? And you know, that answers the the question that we've all been asking is, you know, like football isn't a possession game like that anymore. You know, going back to the one talk was talking about those golden years where possession was really what won you in the matches. Spain are simply missing a striker. They're missing a go-to goal scorer. And it's the same thing that I keep mentioning is so vital and important for these teams, regardless of of everything. You need somebody who you know can bang in those goals. And it costs them here today. I don't care if they scored seven against Costa Rica. All of that is now down the drain because they're missing a consistent goal scorer when things get rough. Or just they're just missing a goal scorer, period. 85% percent possession all good all nice but morocco gave them 85 percent possession it's like it's like playing football against a five-year-old you know i mean it's it just what, what good is that possession for if you're not actually creating anything it's half and puff with nothing to show for it but i tell you who did have something to show for their half and puff was portugal Again, Switzerland. My goodness. Ronaldo, no Ronaldo, no problem. Sit your ass down on the bench. <laughs> I have to go sit down on the bench? 6-1. Under them spleen. Theo, break that one down. Why, why are they not missing Ronaldo? Yeah, and do you know what's even more ironic, Noah? Is that the guy who subbed uh, Cristiano out, the guy who was playing for him, Gonzalo, 
he actually scored a hat trick, you know. So I don't think that Portuguese miss uh, Cristiano Ronaldo at all. You know, of course, he managed to get a goal. It was, it was disallowed to one Sox uh, delight here. <laughs> but again, man, I don't feel like the squad in general, not even the manager, misses uh, having Cristiano in the pitch. It's just not the same as we, we've been talking about it, you know, for the past, at least the past four episodes. We've been mentioning, we've been mentioning how weak uh, uh, Ronaldo's been performing lately. And it's all about his ego, you know? It's all about himself, him want, wanting to be the, the star of every occasion, you know? Whenever you see him, the cameras were, were pointing at him. He always used to look at the big screens, you know, because he wanted to see himself. So I'm just full of Ronaldo, man. I just wanted, I, I don't want to see that this guy playing anymore. Of course, the Portuguese, they respect uh, his history for the country. They respect him as an athlete. But I just, uh, they also agree that Ronaldo doesn't got to be starting every match, you know? Also, Portugal as a whole, as a squad, they looked amazing tonight. You know, you can name uh, players like Dalo. Dalo had, a, had an incredible match, an assist, and he was very consistent defensively, defensively too. Pepe, who wasn't even supposed to play, jumping in between two of the Swiss defenders to score a header like that. And Bruno Fernandes, man, what a hell of a player that guy is. You know, to me, the best one in the Portugal squad so far, like by far. Bruno Fernandes is just different, bro. He's just uh, something else. He ha he's actually, he's got the most assists in the World Cup so far. So Portugal, they're going to face, uh, they're going to face Morocco now, which is going to be a challenge for them. They're going to be pressing heavy the whole match. Morocco is going to be sitting back, defending and waiting for the opportunities to show up. And uh, Morocco also doesn't have their center back, uh, Aguard, who plays for uh, West Ham. He only actually played one match for West Ham. But he's out uh, with an injury. So that might make it easier somewhat for the Portuguese. But I see them having a very tough match against Morocco, who's going to sit back and defend. But Portugal as a whole today, they made, uh, they made a tough match against Switzerland, who's a very decent squad with a lot of quality. They made the match look super easy. Like, come on, 6-1? to one? Like, what, what's that? Not even Brazil could score six goals in South Korea, man. Like, come on. <laughs> Yeah, they're the ones that should be laughing at Switzerland. I mean, shipping six in a tournament, knockout stage. But I think that speaks volumes to the state of Ronaldo. No Ronaldo, not only no problem, but we're having a party here. So fluid. The guy who comes in conveniently scores a hat trick, making the case even stronger for the manager. I mean, even... I know we know Ronaldo can be sulky, right? When he doesn't play, of course, everybody wants to play, but it's Ronaldo. But even he, I don't think he has any grounds to complain today. Gonzalo Ramos, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's eligible for Spain as well. I mean, Spain, they're looking at him. Damn, who do we miss out on? And he was also linked with us as well in the summer. So I, I've I've seen him a few times. I didn't I didn't know he had this in him. His shot for the first goal, I think it reached the same speed as Mbappe's first goal against Poland. It was a rocket near post finish. And to cap it off, it, I mean, all three goals were, were great. A hat trick, almost a perfect hat trick. Yeah, Portugal looked great. And I, I don't think Ronaldo's going to... I mean, how can you start Ronaldo in the next game? Right? Ramos scoring a hat trick. The team scoring six. Could have scored even more. Yeah, Portugal looked really good I, I didn't think I'll be saying that prior to the tournament but they, they look good what's even crazier is that Gonzalo scored off his first shot in the tournament he played uh, he came off the bench in two previous matches but that was his first shot three shots three goals boom hat trick Ronaldo you, you're gonna bench every single game from now on do they go all the way can they go all the way I should say definitely I think they, they can yeah, I think they could too with the form that Bruno's in. Yeah, and, and Cancelo's continuing his, his his down form from City. I know he didn't play today. Uh, I, I think there was a reason why he didn't play today. I mean, right now, I know they don't play in the same position because Cancelo should be playing on the left. But I think on form right now, as you mentioned, Theo, Dalo should be starting over Cancelo. 
And Cancelo should be on the left, but I don't know why Fernando Santos is insistent on playing Cancelo on the right. But yeah, I mean, if he's going to play Cancelo on the right, I think Dalo has to start over him as of current form. Yeah, but before we head off, we sign out. Let's why not just do a quick fire prediction for for the quarterfinals now. The first matchup being Argentina taking on the Dutch. You can go ahead since those are your favorites right now, no? Yeah, and everybody wants to hear your opinions on this because you're eight in eight so far in the round of six. Well, fully for the round of sixteen. Let's hear if you can get, get let's hear if you can get a hundred percent in the quarterfinals as well. That's true, that's true. That's big pressure. But I know I picked Argentina before the World Cup. And I know they still have Messi. But they just don't look good right now. And I, I believe in Louis Van Hal. He he failed at my club. But I think he's he's an expert when it comes to tournaments. Like I mentioned, he hasn't lost in a World Cup other than uh, Shura, and that was against Messi's Argentina. So I'll, I'll, I'll painfully go with the Netherlands here. Wow, that was impressive. <laughs> that was impressive. I was going to say, from this point on, I'm only going to follow your predictions one sec, but I don't think I will anymore, man. <laughs> hey, so, so, so what are you saying, Theo? You're picking saying, Argentina uh, again? Unfortunately, I am. Mm-hmm. But wow. over PKs, I think they're gonna tie the match. It's gonna it's gonna go to penalty kicks, and unfortunately, I see Argentina moving up. But there's a but. There's always a but. It's only because I want to play them in the semifinals. You know, that's the only reason why I, I wouldn't mind playing uh, the Netherlands again because they beat us in 2010 in the quarterfinals back then. But I wouldn't mind playing Argentina at all. That's actually who I want to play. I don't want any easy match. I want Brazil to face the best. That's why Brazil got to face Argentina. And I do see them, uh, I don't know why, but I do see them uh, winning on PKs. Well, that kind of leads us to the next match. Brazil versus Croatia. Wait, wait, wait. What are your predictions here, Noah? My predictions? Mine? Oh, no. All right. Get the drum roll ready. And I didn't hear any drum rolls, so <laughs> I'm going with Netherlands this one. Wow. You picked them to lose to the to the Americans. And now you're picking them to beat Argentina. What can I say? Cody Gakpo is a beast for me at the moment. And you know how much I rate Dumfries. And he just came off of a stellar performance. So Netherlands for me in this one. Fuck Argentina. They can piss off now. We all know why Cody Gapko is a beast for you in the moment. We know that you want to sign him. That's why you're in love with the guy. But <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> hey, if he's listening to us, I mean, hey, I, I wouldn't be opposed to him joining. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we could get that little nudge, get that little hint going, you know? Yo, Arsenal, you feel me? We're top first place, by the way. I don't know if you knew, but we're first. Um, Yeah, but... <laughs> Leading into the next one, Brazil versus Croatia. Do I even need to ask you that? No, let's move on. All right. Moving on to Morocco versus Portugal. I know we kind of spoke about that, but are we looking at another shock by Morocco? No. No shock? No, Portugal looked too good. I just want to mention that Morocco only got one goal scored against. And it was an own goal against Canada. They played Croatia, Belgium, and Spain. And they didn't get scored on in any of those matches. So they, I guess they could somehow stop Portugal from scoring against them. But I do see Portugal taking the, the victory over here against the Moroccan side. It shouldn't be an easy match because Morocco is going to sit back and defend the whole match. But I do see Portugal maybe with a 2-0 victory uh, just to... No, qualify to the next round. What do you see, Noah? So we're not looking at a shako from Morocco. No <laughs> shako from Morocco. <laughs> I, I, I have to agree. But, but they did prove me wrong against Spain, so I hate to go against them. But 
I just don't think they have the quality to match. I think we're either looking at a thumping from Portugal or we're looking at a shock, a very close shock by Morocco. Wow. So two extremes here you're looking at. No, I think that, well, okay, yes, because I'm not, I, I wouldn't say we're looking at like a one or two nil from Portugal. Yeah, two extremes, let's put it like that. Okay, and I'm with I, you over here. I'm, I'm with you here, you know. I don't want Portugal to win. I want Morocco to win, but I do see Portugal winning the match. Right. But no, the big boy. No, the big boy. England versus France. Well, just like how USA got knocked out, I think you're going to lose your your favorites again. And I'm going to die on that hill. If England somehow win this game, so be it. I ha- I don't I don't see that. I would love to see England and Portugal in the semifinals. That would be dope. I do see England uh, having the edge over France as a whole, you know, with a little more quality. I think that's going to make a difference. Maybe a 2-1 victory, maybe a tie, and then winning on extra time or PKs. But I do see England moving up again. Like I said from the start, if England don't end up winning, I think they will go out to the eventual winners of the whole thing. So if you ask me, the winner of this match is going to go on to win the entire thing. And I still think it's going to be England winning it. So you're saying that the champions are going to come out of this match. That is what I am saying. Would you put money on that? I would put as much money as there currently is in my pocket. Which is, <laughs> Which is zero. <laughs> Which is zero! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So what would be the semifinals here? Brazil against the Netherlands and Portugal against England. Yeah, two and two. Yeah, two kind of straightforward games and two, I guess, closer games in the first two games of of each, I guess, bracket. But, hey, Morocco gave us a shock. Croatia, I guess, is kind of a shock too. Um, So we'll see. But that will be it for today's episode. Thank you very much, guys, for tuning in. Really appreciate your support. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Apple Music, Spotify, hit the subscribe button. Make sure to download the episode and share it with a friend. One of your friends that like football, put it in a football group chat. And don't forget to turn on those notifications so you guys don't miss any episodes and you stay up to date. And as well. The link to our Facebook page is in the description and the bio. So go get clicking, join our discussion, like our page, and share our page. Let's get some good football discussion going, and let's get the chat on. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in as always, and peace out.